The following message is from Hope Church in Las Vegas, Nevada. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. More information about Hope Church can be found at hopechurchonline.com. Have you ever been reading through the scriptures? And as you're reading through the scriptures, there was a verse or a phrase that jumped off the page and captured your attention. Maybe it's a verse or a phrase that maybe you'd read it before. Maybe you'd heard it before. Maybe you'd studied it hundreds of times. But for whatever reason, on this particular occasion, it, it just jumps out, grips your heart, and captures your attention. And you think to yourself, how did I not see that before? Have you ever had that moment? Well, a few weeks ago, I was sitting in my living room reading through the book of Psalms. I kind of jumped ahead of the reading plan. And I, I came to Psalm chapter 101. And as I began to read Psalm 101, there was an eight-word phrase that jumped off the page and captured my attention. And it was written by a man named David. And here, here's what he said. Here's what I read that so gripped me a few weeks ago. He said, I will give heed to the blameless way. And when I read that phrase a few weeks ago, I had two thoughts. The first thought was, what an incredible pledge. What an incredible promise from David. As a leader and as a king, what a pledge he's making. What a covenant he's making. That he will heed to the blameless way. And after I had that thought, I had another thought. What in the world is he talking about? <laughs> and so today, as we continue our journey through the book of Psalms, I want us to look specifically at Psalm chapter 101 and wrestle through this, this incredible pledge that, that David makes in this chapter. And I want us to identify how we can apply it to our own lives. So if you have a Bible or a smartphone or a tablet, would you look with me at Psalm chapter 101? In just a moment, I'm going to read the whole chapter. Well, a few weeks ago, after I read that phrase, and, and I just couldn't get away from it, for about 24 to 48 hours, it was just in my heart. And I kept seeing those eight words. After that, I did a little bit of digging to understand this phrase in the context of Scripture and in the context of history. And, and I learned a few things that really give this chapter a lot more weight, in my opinion, in terms of what was happening in David's life. David is writing this when he's around 30 years old. And he is beginning his reign as the king of Jerusalem. Now, he is following a king named Saul who did not honor God, did not fear God, did not trust God. And so the bad leadership of Saul is still fresh in David's mind. And really what Psalm 101 is, is David saying to the nation, it's a new day in the kingdom of Israel. 
I'm going to draw a line in the sand and I'm going to set a new standard of what it means to be a leader and a child of God in this kingdom. So look with me at Psalm chapter 101 and I want to read all eight verses in this chapter. I will sing of loving kindness and justice to you, O Lord. I will sing praises. He says the phrase, I will give heed to the blameless way. When will you come to me? I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not fasten its grip on me. A perverse heart shall, shall depart from me. I will know no evil. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. No one who has a haughty look and an arrogant heart will I endure. My eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a blameless way is the one who will minister to me. He who practices deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who speaks falsehood shall not maintain his position before me. And then verse 8. Every morning I will destroy all the wicked of the land. So as to cut off from the city of the Lord all those who do iniquity. Now obviously as we read that you can tell this chapter is loaded David is making an unbelievable resolve before the nation to say this is what it's going to look like. I'm going to draw a line here in the sand. But I believe when you, when you look at this chapter in its totality, there are a lot of very specific truths we could look at. But when you look at Psalm chapter 101 in its totality, I believe there is a clear message for us about pursuing God's best in every area of life. Let me ask you something. And this is a heart question as we begin. I don't want you to answer out loud or look at the person beside you, but would you say in your heart that you genuinely desire to experience God's best in every area of life? Like in your heart, is that, what you, is that what you want? Is that what you yearn for? I would hope that everyone in the room inside would be saying, yes. Like, sign me up for that. I, want, I desire God's very best in every area of life. Well, let me ask you a follow-up question to that question. You can say you desire it, but are you pursuing God's best in every area of life. Because as I talk to people, and as I just observe my own life, there's a lot of days I have a lot of really, really good intentions, but at the end of the day, I'm not genuinely pursuing God's very best in every area of my life. So here's what I want to do this morning to unpack this text. I want to ask and answer two questions as it relates to pursuing God's best. And here's the first question. 
What does this psalm teach us about pursuing God's best? As we look at this psalm in totality, what do we learn from this chapter in the book of Psalms about pursuing God's best in every area of life? Well, as we've already established, this is David setting a new standard for the nation. He's saying the days of Saul are gone. I'm the king now, and I want my reign to be defined by what he calls the blameless way. Over and over again in this chapter, here's what you're going to read. You're going to read phrases like, I will, I shall, I will, I shall. There's a lot of action in Psalm chapter 101. But the thread throughout all of those things he's looking to do is he wants to be a king who is known for following the blameless way. He's saying, I want people to observe my life. And in every respect, when they see me, I want them to identify me as someone in every area that pursues God's very best. But I found it very interesting that after he makes this statement in the first part of verse 2, I will give heed to the blameless way, he almost interrupts this pledge or this promise by asking a question. He says, I'll give heed to the blameless way. And then he says, almost kind of out of place, when will you, meaning God, come to me? Now, what he's referring to is the Ark of the Covenant. And we've talked about this before, but just to refresh your memory, the Israelites of this day thought of God's presence as dwelling in the Ark of the Covenant. In their way of thinking, Wherever the ark was, that's where God was. And the closer you were to the ark, the closer you were to God. And at this point in history, the ark was not residing in Jerusalem. It was in another place. And then David follows this question by giving a lot of specific areas that he wants to pursue God's best in. His home, in his mind, in his heart, with what he says, in his leadership throughout the kingdom. David makes it clear that he is longing to experience God's very best in every area of his life. Now, I don't want us just to blow by that reality this morning. Because by him communicating that, he is saying something that is very, very important. You see, in David's heart, he believed that God had something better for the people of Israel than what Saul had led them into and that he could come up with on his own. He believed God had a way, a path, a plan that was so, so significant. And I'll be honest, this week as I studied this passage, I had to wrestle again in my own heart with this question. Do I believe that God has a plan for my life that is better than what I can come up with? Now, it's easy to be in here and for me to say that and for me to just assume by you looking at me with that smug look, just kidding, that you agree but I had to wrestle this week. 
And after just wrestling through it and praying through it again, I believe with all my heart that God has an incredible plan for my life and for every person that he creates. I believe that. By faith, I believe God has a plan for my life and for every single person that he creates. How would you answer that question? There may be some people and you would automatically say yes. I believe that. Travis, I've studied the scriptures. I believe it. But I'm sure there are some other people and you would say, you know, I don't know. I'm not sure that God really does have a plan that's better than what I can come up with. Or other people may just say, no, I don't believe it. And, and it's fine to be honest this morning, but if you're here and you would say, you know what, I don't know, or no, I would imagine more than likely you make that conclusion because you've been hurt or you've been wounded by circumstances, by sin, by people, or maybe a combination of those three. And so I want to take just a moment this morning and speak to you directly those who would believe that maybe God really doesn't have an incredible plan. I want to show you a great verse of Scripture in a horrible chapter of the Bible. It's in Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah chapter 29 is an awful chapter of the Bible, and here's why. You see, Israel is in captivity in a place called Babylon, one of the most pagan places on the planet at that time. And they're in captivity, they're in exile because of their rebellion against God. And it was so bad that the scripture says even the prophets of Israel were lying during their sermons. They were sharing some false truth, some false stories about God, painting an unrealistic, unbiblical picture of what God was like because they were so down and depressed at this point in history. And right in the middle of that, in Jeremiah 29, we read this verse. For I know the plans that I have for you declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. Great verse. Horrible chapter of the Bible. Here's what Tony Evans says about that verse. He says, in the midst of hopelessness and discouragement, along comes verse 11. If you're looking for hope, if you're tired of aimlessness, wandering, and meandering, this verse gives you the answer. Because God looks at us in our miserable state and says, I still have a plan. It's not over. I still have a divine purpose for your life. So here, here's what you can conclude this morning. If you are still breathing, God still has a plan for your life.
Because if he can say that in the midst of Jeremiah chapter 29, there's no circumstance that that verse doesn't apply to. Tony Evans went on to say this, God has a plan for your life. Everything in your life is a part of his perfect, perfect plan for you. You were created for a customized purpose by a loving God who knew you before you were born. Therefore, no matter where you might be at this point, if you haven't yet found God's purpose for your life, you need to stop what you're doing and start looking. No matter how many good, bad, or ugly things have happened to you, God can still redirect your life to reflect his glory. And there is absolutely nothing in your past or your present that he can't use. Here's the point. And I want every person to hear this today. God has a plan for your life. And it's better than what you can come up with. It's a good plan. It's the best. It's, it's a blameless way that he has designed for you to live. And David is communicating in Psalm 101. God, you have a plan. A way that is best for me. And I want to yield to it. Listen to what Romans 12 says about God's plan. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is. Listen to this. That which is good and acceptable and perfect. So David's in pursuit of God's best. He wants to yield his life to God's plan and that's what he's pursuing. Well, here's the next natural question. How? If he's so passionate about living a life and defining his reign as king as the blameless way, in a way that pursues God's best in every area of life, how in the world does he pursue God's best? It's a great question. And as we think about our culture, one of the things we've done is we have diluted what God's best really is. You see, for a lot of us, we've heard or maybe we even think that God's best is in two categories. For some of us, when we think about God's best, we think about stuff. And if someone is living in God's best, here's what that means. They have a nice car. They have a large house. They have a fat income. They have a great job. We think about stuff sometimes when we think about God's best. But that's not what David does here. For others of us, when we think about God's best, here's what we think about. We think about a trouble-free life. We think if someone is living in God's best that there's no pain, there's no struggle, there's no suffering. But David doesn't do that either. He could have said, I will give heed to the blameless way. When will you take all my problems away? He could have said, I will give heed to the blameless way. Give me more servants. Give me a bigger kingdom. Give me more riches. Give me more power. Give me more authority. He doesn't do that either. David is longing for God's best. And because of that, the first place he looks is to God's presence. 
He says, I will give heed to the blameless way. Lord, I'll yield to your best. When will you come to me? David understood that he would never know God's best without a closeness to God's presence. God's best cannot be experienced apart from God's presence. He says, I'm going to walk blameless before you and I'm going to await you to draw near. Listen to what Asaph said in Psalm 73. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. It's best. There is a link in the Psalms between God's best and God's presence. Jesus made this connection. Listen to what he said in John chapter 10. The thief, meaning the enemy, Satan, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But listen to what Jesus said. I came, his presence, that they may have life and have it abundantly. He says, I've come that they may experience my best. What leaves a lot of people frustrated is you are seeking to find God's best, His plan, His will, His way, but you're doing it apart from His presence. You're doing it apart from a relationship with Him. And what David is teaching us here is you will never find God's best apart from His presence. He's saying here, where God is, abundance is there as well. The closer I am to God, the more abundant my life will be. How does that happen? Well, it happens through nearness. Now, obviously, because we live on this side of the cross under a new covenant, we don't have to go looking for an ark where the presence of God is dwelling today. The only way for us to pursue nearness with God is through the person of Jesus Christ. You see, that's the gospel. The gospel is the fact that I could never draw near, I could never earn nearness or closeness with God on my own because of my sinful nature. We're born on the planet, separated from God and spiritually dead. But God, in his grace, said, I'm going to send my best. I'm going to send Jesus to the earth And he's going to make a way where there was no way and pay the penalty for sin. And he's going to be put to death and he's going to be brought back to life by the power of God, giving him the authority to give abundant eternal life to all those who put their faith in him. And when that happens, his spirit comes to live inside of us. Game changer. Because of his nearness, We can experience his abundance. God's best is only experienced through a relationship with Jesus. And as I pursue knowing him, I experience the abundance of his life. That's powerful. You see, what makes abundant life abundant 
is Jesus. What makes it God's best is Jesus. The only way to walk in the incredible plan God has for your life and for my life is through knowing Jesus. He is the crown jewel of the gospel. Listen to what Romans 15 says. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Listen, everything I'm not, Jesus is. And here's what he says. He says, you come to me. You, you lay your life at my feet. You surrender to me, and I'll be your life. And I'll give you access to God, and I will fill you with an abundant life. I love what Dick Woodward said in thinking about the reality that we are so dependent on Jesus moment by moment and day by day. Here's what he said. He said, I'm not, but he is. I can't, but he can. I don't want to, but he wants to. I didn't, but he did. Because of Jesus, I can now walk in dependence on him through the power of the Holy Spirit and experience abundant life. So what does this psalm teach us about pursuing God's best? It teaches us that we will never know God's best apart from a relationship with Jesus. And there are people all over our city and all over the world who are spinning their wheels trying to find a better version of life, but they're doing it apart from a pursuit of Jesus, and they'll never find it apart from him. That's what this psalm teaches us about pursuing God's best. That if I really want God's best, I must first pursue God's presence. Here's a second question I want us to think about in our time remaining. Why do we settle for less than God's best? I mean, David here is, is going down this list of areas. He's talking about walking with integrity in his house. He's talking about not setting anything worthless before his eyes. Not, not, not being close to evil. Not knowing evil. Why is he doing that? Because he believed God had something better for him. But why, why do you and I, in, in a lot of cases, settle for less than God's best? Well, there is obviously a supernatural aspect to experiencing God's best that cannot be ignored. It is dependent on the power of God for us to experience God's best. But I also believe that there's a practical side. That's why David is making these pledges before his people. Because he knows, yes, I'm dependent on God's presence in order for this to happen. But there's also some areas that I just need to be obedient in so that God will bless what's going on. I love the way that Miles Stanford said it. He said, both doing nothing... And doing too much are a hindrance to God's purpose. His will for the Christian is expressed in the word being. Which in turn will result in effective 
doing. And so what I want to do just in our time remaining is I want to share with you a few lessons that, honestly, I've learned the hard way. And obviously, it's a given that the primary reason that we would settle for less than God's best is because we live our lives not pursuing intimacy with God. We live our lives not pursuing intimacy with Jesus. And if that's the case, we will never know God's best. We will never be clear of God's plan. It functions out of our relationship with Jesus. But there are some practical pieces um, that I want to share with you. And really three conditions in my life when I'm most vulnerable to compromise. Some conditions that when, when these conditions are present... I desire my way more than God's way. And hopefully it can serve this morning as a, as, as a flare and, and, and a warning for you in your life. One condition when I am most vulnerable to settling for less than God's best or compromise is when I am frustrated with the timing of God's plan. A lot of us have probably been there. But I know for me, even, even when I'm pursuing Jesus, there, there are some days and I'm, I get frustrated with the timing of God's plan. There are some things that happen that I really didn't feel should have happened. Or there are some things that don't happen that I feel maybe should have happened. And I get frustrated. And when I'm frustrated in those moments, I am very, very vulnerable to settle for less than God's best in my life. And for me, there have been those conditions related to my job, uh, those conditions related to people I love physically dying and going into eternity. There have been some hard moments for me when I just didn't understand why God. And in those moments, I'm very vulnerable. One of the big moments for me was when I was single and waiting to be married. There was a lot of days I was very frustrated with God's timing. And I just didn't understand. And I've learned for me, even when I'm pursuing Jesus, and there's a question or a frustration about the timing of God's perfect plan, I am very vulnerable to settle for less than his very best in my life. Maybe you can relate there. Here's another condition for me. That when this condition is present, I'm vulnerable. And if I'm not careful, I'll compromise. And I'll settle for less than, than, than God's very best. Here's the second condition. When I am emotionally or physically exhausted. There may be some people here this morning and you're sitting there thinking... You know, Travis, I appreciate what you're saying, and I'm excited that you're excited about it, but I'm tired. I've been going 100 miles an hour, and, and I'm emotionally and physically exhausted. And here's what I'd say to you. I get it. I've been there. That's a hard place to be. And for me, when I'm in that condition, my guard drops. And the likelihood of me settling 
for less than God's best goes up because I'm tired emotionally and physically. That's another condition for me where I'm vulnerable. Here's a third condition. When I am being reactive instead of proactive. I believe that it is healthy for us, knowing the desires of our flesh, to establish clear boundaries in our lives. Instead of living in the whirlwind of the enemy's deception and lies and feeling defeated most of your life. When I blow it, when I make a mistake in an area that I didn't see coming, I didn't anticipate, I'm embarrassed, I'm mad. And in those moments, I'm vulnerable because I was living reactive, not proactive. Let me ask you something. Have you established boundaries for your personal purity? Have you established boundaries for time management? Have you established boundaries for your marriage or time with your family? Have you established boundaries for your finances? Listen, don't wait until it's broken. Establish a plan now that can point you to health. Because for me, when I'm reactive and I'm trying to hurry to fix something that I just really messed up on, I'm vulnerable to make a decision that will compromise God's best for my life. You might be here and all or one of those categories is where you're living. Maybe you walked in the room today very angry about God's timing in your life. Maybe you're here and there's some things you just don't understand right now. Maybe you would say, hey, Travis, today I'm, I'm just tired. <laughs> I'm exhausted. I don't even care. Maybe you would say, I have no plan right now to establish a boundaries in my life. And here's what I'd say. Don't let those things drive you to settle for less than God's best. One of the best things you can do today is tell somebody about where you're struggling. You can go to someone and say, listen, here's where I'm living. And I'm afraid if I don't get a hold of this and bring some accountability and some relationships in my life, I'm going to make a decision and I'm going to fall off the cliff and I'm going to settle for less than God's very best for my life. Don't leave here today feeling like you're all by yourself and that compromise is your only solution. When God is saying, I have a plan for you that's powerful. And God's church is saying, you're not alone in this thing. I don't know of any better way to encourage you today. God has a plan. And it's a good plan. And as we continue to pursue him and spend time in his presence and knowing him, he reveals it to us. There's a, there's a, there's a prayer that Paul wrote 
in Philippians chapter 1. And it's what I've been praying for our church this week. I'm going to read it to you. He says, this is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depths of insight. I love this. So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Just a moment. We're going to we're going to take some time to respond to what God is saying to us. And I don't, I don't know where you're living today. Maybe today for you is a wake-up call and you realize for the very first time that it's not all up to you. You see, the reason that it's all about Jesus is because it's all up to Jesus. And, and he's established a plan, a will, a way that he wants to invite you into by his grace that you may experience his abundant life. But potentially for you, you've not been pursuing that. That's not even been on your radar. And maybe today for the first time, you would say like David, it's a new day in my life. Lord, I want to pursue your blameless, your perfect, your, your way, Lord. I want to drop the, the junk I've been trying to mess around with, and I want to pursue your way. Maybe today you just need to be honest about some compromise that's been going on. And you need to recognize today that you need a plan, or you're going to continue to maintain a lifestyle of compromise and settling for less than God's best. I don't know how God's speaking to you today, but I want to, I want to challenge you to be obedient to what he's saying. Thank you for listening to this message from Hope Church. We would love to connect with you, so be sure to follow us on our social networks by searching Hope Church LV.